What's up, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Torch Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nathan Libehusen, and with me as always is... The very best, Devin Bendel. I agree. We want you to join us on this journey of relentless curiosity and, and normalizing civil discussions about everything from our fundamental rights to political philosophy, to finance, to foreign policy, all of this from two very regular dudes that hate politics and love human flourishing. How you doing, Devin? Doing good, man. Uh, doing doing real good. Uh, excited to talk about this topic. It, it's one of one of the ones that uh, I'm pretty um, headset on and pretty emotional about. So uh, if anybody disagrees, that's totally fine. I respect your opinion, um, but I, I definitely have some strong opinions. So I'm excited to get to it. Yeah, uh, and it's a it's a polarizing issue. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, police and policing today. Um, it's a polarizing issue, but also I think there's a lot of across the aisle if we're still looking at it from a left right binary, which we shouldn't. But for the sake of expression, um, there's a lot of across the aisle agreement on stuff. But frustratingly, especially from a libertarian perspective, there seems to be very little progress made. Um, it's kind of like um, seems to be one of the issues where a government is listening to us the least. I feel like a ton of people are anti-war or want to reduce the the military abroad, but you know, we keep getting involved in these entanglements overseas. And then I think police are, are right up there with that too. Um, we're going to talk about everything from um, no knock raids to mandatory minimums to the war on drugs and current libertarian viewpoints, libertarian solutions, and yeah, what we think would make it so much better. And so, yeah. yeah what do you I think? mean, yeah, honestly, uh, like I said, super excited about uh, speaking about a bunch of these topics. Um, but to speak about one thing that you kind of mentioned in there, the it, this is probably the the one aspect of the current government system where it's the most clear that the government will spend money uh, inefficiently and your money inefficiently. But it also shows that they don't necessarily care about the civil impact or the um, impact on the country as itself. And so to me, it's one of the greatest signs that our system is set up incorrectly. Um, and, and one of the most obvious signs that our government is is taking advantage of us at certain points. Uh, so it, it seems like such an issue where the left and the right are talking past each other. I hate putting things in the binary of left and right, but like yeah. that's still how the parties are set up for now. And I hope that changes over the next few years, especially, you know, mentioning our last candidate or our last podcast where we talked about RFK. Um, but the left uh, wants like more peaceful policing, less discrimination, less violence, um, more peaceful communities of a stronger alliance between communities and policing and getting back to that i think all of that's super noble but the and the uh, and then the right wants enforcement of reason uh, some unreasonable but most people just want like they don't want homeless people threatening people on the street they want like com in their words common sense enforcement of laws that already exist and the left won't acknowledge the right the right won't acknowledge the left and so what i'm excited about us going through these solutions first laying out the problems, but laying out our and some libertarian solutions, I think it helps both sides just fine. And yes. and hopefully we can end this talking past each other and finally vote for people that'll make real progress. What do you think? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think a lot of times 
Um, this happens in, in all over the political sphere where the right starts talking uh, about things that they want to solve and the left starts talking about things that they want to solve. And neither one of them necessarily gets to a solution because there's so much back and forth about how to get there. Uh, I think people are starting to recognize that a lot of these issues um, are not in agreement with the American people, but there's so much bureaucracy that's involved and so much money that's involved that it it, it is it seems hard to find a solution utilizing the current uh, binary system that we have. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Well, um, yeah, let's dive into some of the more specific points and in no particular order. Uh, I think the first one we can talk about here is no knock raids. Um, yeah. And no knock raids are some of the more like violent or appalling types of police stories that we've heard in the last few years. And they seem violent. No knock raids seem to have like increased over the last few years. I don't have data on that right in front of me, but um, it's one of the most violating incidents from a libertarian perspective, because we place such a heavy emphasis on private property rights and self-ownership. And basically what no knock raids are is if uh, the police or the ATF, FBI, CIA, whatever men with guns, that's not the military, if they <clears throat> SWAT, um, if they have enough probable cause in a certain situation, they can enter private property without a warrant or with a really low barrier to entry uh, to, to get to get a warrant without the part. The no knock part is that there isn't any warning. They're trying to surprise the suspect, um, and that's just led to so many shootings of unarmed people of uh, the wrong people, of pets. And so, I mean, you see all, I don't know, if you're in the nerdy libertarian pages like I am, you'll see memes all over the place about the ATF just shooting your dog for no reason. And um, it's just led to so much violence over the last few years. And so I have yet to come across a good argument for why these need to exist in the first place. It seems like a common sense thing that we need to outlaw immediately. And I think it uh, people... Ordinary voters, this is something that ordinary voters want ended, and the politicians won't do anything about it. And yeah. I'm at a loss for words for why this is happening. Do you have any insight on that? No, I, I don't have any insight. And you can see the, the unrest that it caused uh, in many different sectors because people feel like it's targeted. Um, and uh, I know there's uh, some racial undertone that people believe exists. Um, and I think that because of that, it causes a lot of chaos within the culture, uh, just to speak to a more philosophical um, and ethical thing than it does to our country. It it sets us off our gears, but also what it does to the people. So they get a, they get no knock rated and maybe they were selling drugs or maybe they were doing drugs and, or maybe they were, you know, running some kind of underground uh, scamming system or something. And they were doing something bad. But somebody comes in there, the police comes in there, and their lives are then ruined. But then they have the opportunity of that policeman's lives being ruined and everyone in, involved being ruined. And the, the gain for society is those people that weren't harming anyone or weren't doing anything. If they were harming someone, then I think we should go in. And that's a little different story. And that's just my personal belief. But if they weren't harming anyone and you go in with a no-knock raid, uh, the possibility for injury, the possibility for problems and the possibility for ruining lives goes exponentially higher. And uh, the possibility for helping someone goes way down. And I think that's what a police system should be set up for, if anything. 
Yeah, even even steel manning the other side that if let's say all these no knock raids are for people that are actually guilty, even pe- violent people that are guilty. I don't believe that this is the the best way to like carry out justice or arrest somebody. It's just right. so it's a powder keg. It's so prone to getting people killed, innocent people, stray bullets. I, I mean, the the police have gotten the wrong house plenty of yeah. times in the last and, few years. And how sad is that story when they weren't even supposed to be there? They came in and somebody ends up getting shot. I, yeah. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, where that happened. And um, and maybe the police were supposed to be there. Differentation on that on both political sides. But for what happened, that girl didn't deserve to get shot. And I don't care if you're on the right or on the left. That's just a very sad thing to happen. And it all happened because of a no-knock raid. And, and so for for that to be allowed within society, I think it doesn't have any potential of good. If you can't catch somebody doing something in the act or out there in the in the wild, not within their own home, then they're probably not doing something that needs to be intruded on, I would assume. There's some instances where this might change, but most of the time, these no-knock raids are not happening within those instances. You're absolutely right. And uh, the incident you're referring to is uh, Brianna Taylor, who was killed in Louisville um, in 2020. And uh, if I remember the details right, it was what her boyfriend that they were after, but she just happened to be in the house. And um, again, uh, innocent bystanders um, getting caught up in all of this. Um, And the police, like now there it's, it's a trouble in Louisville for, to even get police to work here because they're terrified uh, in some instances for lives. But then the people's natural sentiment is, you know, the police are not necessarily there for their benefit. And so it's a really hard process, but I think it all comes back to this fact that you, we should set up a system that people understand is fair. And I think that there's this disparity that this is not fair um, for them to be coming into your own personal space and, doing what they want when they don't have warrants, when they don't have legitimate reason. Uh, I think that that is why there's such a public unrest about this topic. Yeah, I think. And so uh, that gets us to our point. Um, People, especially non-libertarians, kind of idolize government officials and public servants and, and the effectiveness of government. We need government. If seemingly so many people agree that it, even if no-knock raids shouldn't be ended, they need to be massively reformed. I don't know anybody yeah. that's just happy with the current state of no-knock raids. If the government was so effective and truly serving us, why hasn't there been progress on this at all in, in the last few decades? Um, we're, libertarians want you know this perfect solution, but we'll accept progress, or a lot of them will. So uh, if it's these government officials, especially Democrats that run on police reform, um, are so effective and so in your interest. Why don't you ever hear anything about that after they're elected? Yeah, they they preach about this is what I'm going to change. This is what I'm going to change. This is what I'm going to change. And maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's just too we're too divided to be able to make um, to be able to make any plans actually happen. But for whatever reason, it, it doesn't happen. And that causes more problems because people are like, you guys are promising, you're admitting that this is wrong and then it's still happening. And so like what sentiment does that send out into these, especially afflicted communities that think that this is happening in their areas more often than not. And and so like, you can understand why they're so frustrated. And, 
And, and that's just my thoughts on it. And, and consciously or subconsciously, this creates a lot of disaffected voters too. If yeah. um, it, a lot of people make the connection that, hey, I voted for this guy. He said he was going to... Um, he was running on police reform and nothing's got done. That'll create a disaffected voter. Um, it, and they'll stop participating in the system. They'll um, just become more jaded in general. And uh, we, we've talked about how feeling like you don't have control over your life leads to other huge problems. I mean, that's happening at a micro level with everybody. Um, but I think it happens subconsciously too. Some people don't make that connection. They forgot that they voted for that guy. Um, a lot of people don't even stop and think one day, Hey, whatever happened to the the police reform promises um, that were promised to me when I voted for this guy. And then another big incident happens and they're like, wait, that was supposed to get reformed. Um, Tragically, it takes a tragedy or a no knock raid gone wrong for people to remember, Hey, this was a problem. And maybe that's part of it, that it happens infrequently enough um, that people don't stay passionate about this issue. But as we'll talk about here in a few minutes, it's connected with so many other over-policing issues that this should stay, in my opinion, front of mind for people. Yeah, this is just like the tip of the iceberg of the entire correlation of things that are uh, that have been created by an inefficient policing system, at the very least, mm-hmm. if not a dangerous one. And so maybe we should have mentioned this before, but before we go into specific issues, I would think, and I want to hear if you agree, that the policing issue... Um, largely breaks down into there being too many laws. So there's too many things to enforce in the first place. Uh, there's under training. So police aren't prepared. So they're more likely to make bad decisions. Um, and then um, there's a rhetorical problem. So again, the right is, they're like, maybe the police aren't perfect, but at least the laws are getting enforced. And they're talking right past the left that says, um, whatever happened to protect and serve and uh, so they feel like the police are on the wrong mission to begin with. And so um, the mission isn't clear because yeah. the laws are incentivizing bad behavior. And we'll go right. into why that is in the, yeah, in, in some other examples. It's, it's conflicting with ethics. It's conflicting with morals. And anytime you have a confliction of ethics and morals, you, you're going to have a chaotic state. And so I think that's what you're seeing both on in the within the police system and that's why i I think even they feel chaotic right now um and within the other system of the afflicted that they their communities feel very chaotic right now and even our community everybody's community has now been subservently connected to this um just because it started to to breach out into uh, mainstream and and larger events yeah, what do you mean by that distinction between ethics and morals or the conflict between them? No, the, so the conflicts between morals and ethics and the laws that are in place. Oh, gotcha. Yep. So, yeah, so like that that dis, that um dissension is is causing a lot of chaos in my that's how I view it. Oh, I agree. Um it's we were talking about this right before we started recording the uh, the saying that I love more and more every time I hear it, that people don't follow laws, they follow incentives. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's correlations or there's connections to bit, everything from Bitcoin to foreign policy to, to policing. And so we need to align the laws with human behavior and incentives so that we get the policing that we want. And so ending no-knock raids, is, I think, is an easy, common sense, like layup first step. This is a, a not a new idea. I, the Greek Greek philosophers, uh, I can't remember if it was Plato or Aristotle, that said, um, you know, good people don't need laws, bad people do not follow them. 
and uh, and that pretty much lays it out. Like m- most laws are very ineffective, and yes, nobody wants rapists, murderers, and any of those you know thieves and stuff. But now you see that we're not even able to protect against those things as well because so much of our um, so much of our mental space is is connected to stopping like drugs and stopping like um, non harmful uh, crimes of you know, whatever, uh, of mostly within the drug space. What is that? How much does that make up? Like 20, 20% of the current incarceration rate. It's, it's an absurd rate. Yeah. It's an absurd rate. So that's taking up a lot of our mental power to stop where we should be worrying about, you know, stopping people that are actually causing harm to other people. So how do we reform no knock raids to, to, do we eliminate them completely or do we, are there, can we stepping stone this problem by I, fixing some I, of the egregiousness of the current policy? It's got to be, I, I, you definitely have to have a warrant. Uh, that's without question. Um, and then I think you get to the point where it can't be a nonviolent crime. Uh, you, you should be able to catch them with the outside of their house. If it's not violent, it's not that uh, big of a deal at that point. Um, and it, I definitely think that there should be a substantial amount of proof proven by a judge that it is that they did something egregious. Um, and I think that you can set that level at rape at murder, wherever you want to set that level at. Um, and then anything within that bubble, I think you allow, you still allow no knock raids. Cause I think if somebody murdered somebody, you can't just sit in a house for, you know, forever. Um, but then again, if you're wrong, like that's against our own ethic of, um, you know, innocent until proven guilty. And, and so you're technically not innocent until proven guilty if they can come within your own home and inflict on your rights. That's a tricky one. Yeah. Let me see if I can expand. I agree with everything that you said. Let me see if I can expand on those or maybe make them a little more specific and see if you agree. Uh, I, we got to end the no knock part of no knock rates. Uh, there, you, you must, you have to clearly identify yourself as a legitimate law enforcement Definitely. person. Uh, before entering private property. Um, We'll get into like the libertarian principles of that hopefully a little later, but that's what libertarians are like, have been leading the charge on on no-knock raids and a few other of these issues that we're going to bring up. That's why we're so proud to have the political philosophy that we do is we've been leading the charge on this and we've been philosophically consistent on it for decades. And uh, we're waiting around for this change and waiting for people to wake up. So, and the no-knock part, um, it, and like you said, there has to be a warrant. I, and it sounds like the the barrier for granting warrants, um, it sounds like a rubber stamp thing right now. Um, this is a problem with the laws that are on the books right now is that like half these laws shouldn't be on there in the first place. But I think for a no-knock raid or a surprise raid or an overwhelming use of force raid, even if you want to argue that's justifiable, it should be really hard to get the warrant for something Very like hard. that. I yeah. think if, uh, it, obviously, like you said, it cannot be a nonviolent offense. We can't we can't be busting down the door and shooting dogs and people and uh, girlfriends because a guy sold drugs on uh, Silk Road or something like that. Um, if uh, if these if police have the monopoly on violence, they need to be trained at a high high enough level that they're able to announce their presence and then peacefully resolve the situation and carry out justice through the justice system and the courts, not. Uh, oh, I thought I saw something that looked like a gun in the dark. So I shot the suspect before he even got his day in court. And there's a problem right there is we don't pay them enough because we need them to do too much. (laughs) 
and we don't, can't train them enough because we need too many of them. And so, and so yeah, that's all, a good of, point. All, all of this gets solved with a, a simple reform of nonviolent crimes, not getting the attention that they've gotten in the past. But for this no knock part, it's very, very simple. Many less of these need to occur. And it needs to be an extremely difficult thing to uh, obtain and no, no knock part. I, you should definitely have to say, I am a police officer. I want to talk to you or I am a police officer. Let me in. Something like that doesn't matter. But I definitely don't think that you can just barge into somebody's house. No, That's it crazy. just it creates problems, violates private property. Um, yeah, we've uh, but it, so it, far it, away from like normal human like respond that just doesn't even sound right when you like somebody else is barging into your place and if you haven't done a non-violent it's a non-non-violent crime and someone else is barging into your house Uh, and it's did you even do it that's another thing like these are not criminals because of it because in america you're not a criminal until you're proven guilty so even breaking into these people's houses is uh, illogical on, on our own, just American ethics, let alone human ethics. Right. Yeah. It's getting the justice system totally out of order. Um, and we'll, you'll see here as we move on to the next subject here that all of these are interrelated. So um, the I think the reason that no-knock raids have stayed on the books and have stayed so prevalent is because of a term called qualified immunity. And let me preface this by saying I'm not an expert on qualified immunity and it can be like a complicated legal argument, but I wanted to pull up the definition here and then make a case for why qualified immunity is so connected to no knock grades and probably why that they persist still. So um, qualified immunity is in the United States here. Um, qualified immunity is a legal principle that grants government officials performing discretionary functions immunity from civil suits unless the plaintiff shows that the official violated quote, clearly established statutory or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. Now that's a lot of like complicated legal mumbo jumbo, but um, what that means kind of in more plain English is that government officials, it doesn't even have to be police. That's a whole other problem about how other government officials are getting away with qualified immunity too. But um, let's stick with policing for now. um, And especially the no knock raid type situations that, the problem of this qualified immunity definition is the part that was in quotes. Basically, these law enforcement officers are protected or granted immunity from civil suits, which means the victim can't you know, sue uh, these government officials unless they have, quote, clearly established statutory or constitutional rights of which a reason a reasonable person would have known. And I, I think that's, that's intentionally legal, phrased that's so legal uh, it is. I, mean, I, no I, I know a lot of lawyers and and have a lot of friends that are that are practicing and uh, learning law as well, um, and you know that's something that they put in purposely so that it can be manipulated. Yeah, uh, no, it's a, it's it's a completely just like we talked about how the the warrants for these no knock raids are the bar is way too low, the bar is way too high here, yeah. in protecting. Um, government officials, in this case, law enforcement officers, whether that's ATF, CIA, FBI, or your local police department. Um, Basically what this part in quotes is saying is that if this exact same situation hasn't happened before, and it's, it's crazy high, how specific you have to have established case law that shows that this, this exact situation has happened before and the police or whatever government official was acting 
perfectly in accordance with what has happened before, or this is the burden of proof. Sorry, I'm getting all convoluted here. This is the burden of proof that the, um, the prosecutor in this case, the victim of the crime has to show that the law enforcement officer didn't act. This is so complicated. Um, it, it has, they have to prove misconduct at such a high bar. I'm not getting these words out. Right. Let me know if I'm making any sense. Oh, you're making it, yeah. Maybe you can jump in, but, um, like so, so right now they, the the way that they have this um, set up is the police. If I'm understanding correctly, is that the police um, are pretty much granted immunity from anything without a reasonable doubt, and uh, and, and so they're they can go into a situation with quite a bit of an immunity, uh, a very yes. high level. Yes, and so um, what this does is set up a disconnect between the two individuals. And so this sets up like where one person's life is valued at a different level than the other person's life. And something can be, something can happen within that situation where um, this police officer and this person can both shoot at each other. And one person is, um, one person goes to jail, even if the police officer may have attacked first. Um, that is not the exact situation, but that's the sanctity of what this means. Like this means that the officer has a much higher value um, than the person, the other person within in the room. And it also states that the officer can get away with much more things than the, the other person in the room. And if that person is innocent, that's an absolutely egregious thought and an absolutely egregious law. And you have to presume them innocent because they haven't been in the law in the courtroom yet. And so it's just a it, it goes against another thing that goes against the American natural American ethic and the original ethic of our country in my yes. opinion. Yeah. Thanks for saving me a little there. The, in, I, I got it all sorted out now. So the, the government officials are granted immunity unless that exact situation that the victim is claiming that the government official acted inappropriately has occurred before. Um, and if they can't prove that down to an unreasonable level of specificity, um, the, the government official is granted like the benefit of the doubt and granted immunity in that situation. That's crazy. It's, yeah. So if it's, and if it's, it's never it, happened exactly like that, then yeah, how, how I'm understanding it is it, it has to be like something Details as small as day versus night or uh, apartment versus house or um, and I would love the listeners like write in or comment on us uh, um, about specific cases here. And if about the specificity of this law, people happen to know. But I mean, look it up and um, this the level of specificity uh, for precedence. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. Precedence has to be established. That it's the exact same um, that's, situation and- has happened before. Otherwise, by default, they're granted qualified immunity. And that's crazy because, uh, you know, in in this situation, this is a very obviously unprecedented situation for only one person. And that's the person that's getting in, intruded upon. Um, this yeah. police officer should have the training and wherewithal and situational awareness to be able to handle the situation with professionalism. And the and default should be that they cannot they cannot act violently if they're not confident enough that they're 
using the appropriate rules of engagement. And so I think that's our solution to qualified immunity is no, we don't have qualified immunity with this exact same historical precedent case, um, case precedent type standard is there are, there's a set rules of engagement that apply to a wide variety of, um, situations. And if the victim in this case, um, can show that the government official was acting unreasonably or using an inappropriate amount of violence or in the wrong way, um, that should be the default. Like the burden of proof should be on the government official, not the victim to claim that appropriate violence was used. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I think that's the perfect solution right there. It's just, um, there's no reason that the, maybe the rights don't have to be equated, um, but there's no reason for them to be this uh, far apart, this disseparated. Uh, uh, it's the, the police officer in this situation can essentially do anything and get away with it. The person can essentially do nothing and they're going to, um, face some very, uh, insane consequences. And so it's just, um, obviously going to cause a stressful situation and can cause a lot of, uh, problems and violence and allows for a lot of violence on the other side of, uh, of the aisle. And so, uh, it's just an, an very obvious if you think about it, just from, take away the laws, take away what you think about these people, just like what is the best way to handle this situation? Um, it shouldn't happen. They don't need to go in there without permission. And if they do, they should act respectfully until there's a situation that's hostile enough for them to make a hostile act. Um, and if that's not done, then they deserve the same punishment as the person yeah. that they were willing to inflict. Yeah. Um, so if, if we got a little lost in the technicalities there, the ten, I think the 10,000 foot view, the libertarian approach to this is that the burden of proof on qualified immunity is backwards. Mm -hmm. If we're going to grant the government a monopoly on violence and they get to do things with guns that we don't get to do, then they need to meet, they need to be the ones that to prove that they acted appropriately. Yes. Not that the, the victim wasn't a victim of inappropriate violence. And that might sound like a small distinction, but it's, it's the same thing as innocent until proven guilty with qualified immunity. It's guilty until proven innocent. It's just completely backwards. And I'm, I, I'm just, you see people and you know, people that let's go back to the Stanford prison experiment for people to get a, a grip on this is this can happen to any person um Stanford prison experiment they have random college students that go into this prison experiment they split them up in equal halves half of them are prisoners half of them are um prison guards and within a couple days within two days the prison guards are beating mocking and treating these prisoners like complete fools uh, and and harming them and then these prisoners are taking it and accepting it and believing that they are prisoners and so this is exactly what's happening within our society is we're allowing for people that might have this already have this incentive to get into law because they have this attraction to power you're having that possibility i'm not saying every single one of them but that is a possibility that exists and then they are putting to that situation with the natural the natural um pressure is to to act like that anyways and then you're putting somebody who already is wanting to act like that into that situation and you can have very evil and very violent things happen and we need to have laws to protect against that the the literature states that and, and so like the fact that we have the opposite to protect 
that and to not protect against that is to me just it's not right and it, and it causes a lot of problems and more than it solves yeah and so let's uh continue on that connection between the stanford prison experiment and the law enforcement relationship with normal americans to my point earlier that there's there's way too many laws and that's creating problems um, we'll get into more specific laws that should be abolished here in a minute but in that stanford prison experiment if those prison guards in order to do their job effectively had to make sure that the prisoners weren't doing or doing all kinds of things there are a lot more interactions that the prison guards are going to have with the prisoners um, they, they just have to keep their eye on a whole lot more and there are a lot more violations by the prisoners if the rule list that the prisoner guards have to enforce um, versus if uh, there aren't that many laws and like as long as the prisoners aren't harming themselves or others, uh, you know, the prison guards can't really do anything. The prison guards are much less likely, even though they're given more authority than the prisoners, to have these altercations with the prisoners. And it's it, the same with police and American citizens. Exactly. And it's such a um, it was such a powerful it should have never happened, obviously, but it was such a powerful In hindsight. It was not a good experiment. <laughs> no, definitely not. But it's but, but maybe who knows how many like lives it saved or maybe it'll great create a great argument for peaceful people in the future. Yeah. The information that it gave us it is pertinent to every single part of your life, like whatever position you're in, you become slightly an actor of that position. And, and yes. so especially when you already have um, the parts of you that already desire that, uh, they really will come out strong. And I've known people that are, have become cops and um, weren't necessarily, they, they let the power go to their head a little bit. And um, I think they've got it together now, but that doesn't mean everyone does. And they're obviously extreme, but there being so many police, there are going to be more extreme cases. And so allowing them these easy avenues of, of causing pain to other people is uh, not a good idea. Yeah. And then protection on the back end through qualified immunity. Like if, if you're on the fence, uh, like, I'm not sure if I should shoot this guy or not. Oh, well, he knows in the back of his head that he's got a really, he's got the state on his side and qualified immunity. And then, um, you know, when in doubt he shoots instead of not shooting. So, um, we spent a lot of time on qualified immunity. This actually has to be a shorter episode today. Um, so I want to get to a few of the other points. Um, but we zoomed out a little bit and showed how like all these problems are kind of interconnected. Um, the next one we wanted to bring up is the war on drugs and, uh, drug legalization and individual rights when it comes to drugs and altering your consciousness and peaceful voluntary transactions. All of that deserves its own episode, two, three episodes. Um, but we'll, we'll uh, dive into it just for a second here and relate it to policing. Um, but I think maybe the core or, uh, it, the, the, I think the biggest batch of laws that don't need to be on the books that are that's creating this divide between the police and American citizens is all of the all the drug laws and the war on drugs yeah. that's been in an objective failure since uh, the 80s. I mean, if anybody has ever been to college, they know that there is the difference between um, someone. I mean, there even the people that even the gangs that exist, they happen because the drugs are illegal. And so even when you're. Mm -hmm. When you're saying that, like if the drugs, if the drugs weren't illegal, then the, then the gangs wouldn't exist out of, uh, like out of, they would have to just exist within, you know, society, but they probably wouldn't be violent towards each other because maybe they would steal or, or create certain little violences, but it's definitely excited by the police, uh, and excited by imprisonment. And then they get out and they have nothing else that they can do or work on. So they have to sell these drugs and they have to make this money so that they can survive just like the rest of us. 
um, and you can't get a job because you've been imprisoned and which which choice are you going to take $40,000 working as a janitor? Or are you going to take $200,000 working, selling drugs uh, on the street? Uh, I mean, and we blame these people for making these decisions when it's the only decisions that we've given them. Right. Um, and, and this might be the best example of people following incentives, not laws. Um, mm-hmm. This is why there are drug dealers and gangs in the first place is uh, mm-hmm. when economic opportunity is limited. That's a whole complicated macroeconomic argument for another time. Um, but when you limit options of certain people oh, it's a great to, to create legal gainful employment on uh, in the legal markets, and you have this huge incentive to make a lot of money because you outlawed something that people will inevitably demand, cocaine, weed, whatever it is, um, you create this incentive for people to, even though it's illegal, they choose the money over uh, obeying the law. <laughs> And the feeling, you know, that, you know, there's people that are addicted to drugs and they will choose, they will choose that that is what they're going to follow. And that's what they're going to give their lives to, uh, in a sense. And I don't think that that's something that we should punish, uh, like as a society, if that's their choice and they're not harming any other person. Um, And and at least we shouldn't cage them up for the rest of their lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. That happens to people. And and that's, uh, to me, very sad. Uh, and it happens to people that I, in a way that like you were, like you were saying, uh, instead of these people being able to sell their drugs to the people that want to do them and it becoming a profitable business and everybody being able to live within a society and do what they want to do with it. And this happens in other countries. Instead, what we have is that they illegalize it and it still comes in, but it comes through in through illegal um, terms. And so from the exact start of the process, there's violence created because it's an illegal subsidy that's starting the process. And so the only way that they can make sure that everything happens is with violence because there's no law to protect them. And, yes. and so they, they step in and they say, okay, we're going to utilize our violent gun law, whatever guns to, to get this in. And then that creates this entire community of, of violent people. Um, and, and it simply comes back to the fact that we've illegalized the substance instead of allowing it to be, in my mind, you know, traded like another, any other commodity and you let people make their decisions. And uh, as long as they're not harming another person. Absolutely. It's really hard to dive into this argument without turning this into an hour podcast on the world. Yeah, okay. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bias towards, uh, no, what you said was good, but we'll, we'll bias towards skimming across the top of this one, but this is a whole huge chunk of laws um, and people operating outside the law that already have aversion and a paranoia towards the police because they're doing something illegal because they're following their incentives. And it, this is, it's really important that everybody listening, that's not, you know, pro legalize every drug um, that you Acknowledge that we are making a strong, strong distinction between uh, in an, the endorsement of drugs and yeah. s- and us saying that they should be legal. Um, because it, just it, because it, you it want drugs to be legal, in no way morally endorses the use of drugs. Right, and I think people will do them less because I think there are many, many people that start doing drugs because they're illegal. Because it's fun to try. There are many people that have that natural mindset of it's fun to try a new thing, break the law, step out of my cage or whatever, and that's what happens. And I think uh, maybe and it ends up causing a lot of um, problems for those people. And so I don't endorse that to happening to anybody. But at the same time, 
Uh, I don't think that we should further ruin their lives if they weren't going to ruin anyone else's. Uh, and so, yes, I think it's a terrible decision to ever try to start drugs and it's going to ruin your life without doubt, without question. But we don't need to further that process and cause our own self havoc. And there's stats that say the more that we um, put laws on this, the more that the substance abuse goes up. So our war is not working. Our money that we're spending is being wasted. Every single bit of this is just tax dollars that we're spending into a system that pays certain people a lot, a lot of money, but we get absolutely nothing out of it. In fact, it goes in the opposite direction. Absolutely. And like I said, it's hard to not totally dive in into this. Um, uh, On a base level, the government doesn't get to tell you what to put in your body. Um, this is a whole legislative block of, of victimless crimes. Um, so picture picture a world where police don't have to enforce any of these drug crimes. You know, there aren't traffic stops for uh, probable cause of, of dealing drugs. People aren't suspicious of large amounts of cash because, um, you know, the people that operate in large amounts of cash are likely dealing drugs. You know, every transaction in cash over $10,000 doesn't need to go through the SEC or whatever governing body automatically checks that. There are all kinds of books that can just come off or all kinds of laws that can just come off the books. If part of police, part of the job of a policeman isn't to make sure that people are voluntarily exchanging with others and putting drugs into their own body. I mean, and, and let's, clarify so what that means. let's clarify what that means. That means that more of our policing power and energy can go to stopping rapists and murderers. Yes, there's a, there, and, there's... and people that are going to cause harm to other people and do very, very terrible things. And, and we, we shouldn't waste resources on people that are not trying to do that. Not to mention the other side of, of it. We could do an entire podcast, but you can go to the other side of it where the regulations that we could have third party regulators that can make sure that these things are more safe. So less people are oh, yeah. dying. That's all. I mean, that's a whole nother, a whole nother topic yeah. on that. It's just what we're doing to people's lives and the out and what we get out of it and how much money we're spending on it all together makes it a bad idea. This, this is true for every single cent that the government spends, but it it's, feels real concrete when it's police every second that cops are spending directing traffic or pulling somebody over for um, going five miles an hour over the speed limit or pulling somebody over for suspected weed possession is time that is not invested in making sure that violent criminals and violations of the non-aggression principle aren't being policed by police officers that are supposed to protect and serve the community there's a limited amount of resources it's i mean it's just how time and energy works and so if you want cops to do a better job or uh, stop the most egregious crimes you have to start at the bottom of the list with the least offensive things and start crossing them off so that police can focus on the important stuff exactly exactly i i think that was very beautifully put uh Another thing that I wanted to touch on really quickly, or I wanted you to touch on really quickly, um, is just where you feel that you could make improvements on the system as a whole. If you were, if you were, say, let's put you in the office, in the Oval Office, and you get to change two things um, based on the overarching topic of of policing, uh, what would be the key points that you would uh, really hone in on? Uh, The two biggest ones that we've already brought up. Um, I, th- I mean, the first one is the war on drugs. I think that's a problem that solves most other problems. Um, that's uh, that's a huge 
help to the enforcement side of policing. And then on the justice side, the back end side of policing, we end qualified immunity so that the, and this helps both sides. This helps private citizens. They get their, their day in court, they get a better justice system, but this also helps police officers because their to-do list for being able to say that they did their job, uh, their list gets way, way shorter because we eliminate all the, the drug, the war on drugs. And there's a, like, like we mentioned, there's a compl not complicated, there's a really fundamental philosophical belief um, that drugs aren't a violation, uh, shouldn't be illegal anyway. Um, but yeah, those are the two big things. We fixed on the front end by getting rid of the war on drugs and fix it on the back end by getting rid of qualified immunity. That'll fix 75% of the problems with policing right now. That That's financial gain for our country. That's, uh, you know... Uh, I think peace that's gained for our country. And uh, I think that that would also create a, a system that was more fair that everyone is, uh, I feel like grasping for at this point. Uh, so those are, those are beautiful points. I think that those are the real key things that could be fixed um, really quickly within, um, within this fear, but why do you think that they aren't fixed? Is it just come back to that political bipartisanism that um, just creates too much chaos for them to be able to uh, to come to a solution on this? Or do you think they don't want to? Um, will you get tinfoil hatty? Do you think that there's a conspiracy <laughs> to pay these people? What is the what is going on? Yeah, because it's not like police departments have giant lobby dollars to spend, right? So. Um... Uh, I think it's a couple things. I think, uh, you know, the deep state is a loaded term or whatever, but um, I think there's this massive establishment in government, CIA, FBI, ATF, where there's this culture of we need to, we're superior over the people that we're allegedly serving and we need to babysit them or they will fall into anarchy and kill each other. Um, yeah. And their definition of anarchy is no rules. Um, our definition of anarchy is no rulers. Um, so there's an important distinction there. Um, so there's this culture of uh, we got to babysit all these people and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And so that justifies big departments of people with guns um, and interfering in our lives. Um, and then uh, the, the other side of that is I think there's a lack of accountability with the uh, officials that are elected. I mean, 70 million people voted for the Democrats, 70 ish voted for the Republican over the last few elections. That's 140 million people endorsing mainstream candidates that don't follow through on promises to actually change police reform. And so uh, candidates can see that they can make these soft, whatever, feel good promises during their campaign. And then when they get elected, there's no consequences for actually not following through. How many times? They sneak larger purchases within bills. And I mean, on the COVID bill, there was $100 million that went to the FBI uh, to build a new building. And uh, so, I mean, the the fact that this is getting snuck in and, and pulled under the rug should be enough to offend people. Um, but it, the fact that it's been promised to us on, on the front end that we're going to stop this, we see that it's a problem. We understand that you know it's a problem. And instead, when they get into office, they create more of it and they create a, a larger um, gap. And uh, what was it? In 1981, they were spending a billion dollars. Now they're spending thirty four point six billion dollars a year um, on policing. And uh, are we getting I understand things cost a little more, but uh, I think this, the world is not turning in the right direction. The, the U.S. doesn't seem to be turning in the right direction. Uh, the, dr drugs are drugs are winning the war on drugs. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, but not even just that, it, it seems that there is this almost anarchy that's uh, coming up uh, in our streets and like people are protesting and, uh, and very upset within our culture. And I think a lot of it is because they've been promised things that they know are right and, and they aren't happening. Uh, and I think there's a, a large understanding of that that's starting to come come to the surface. This has to be a shorter episode today, but there's all kinds of things that we didn't even get into. Um, I wanted to quickly mention that this argument could continue for a while. I think we could maybe do a part two on this and police are going to come up again at some point. But um, do a part we, two. we need to talk about um, victimless crimes like prostitution and and the drug war. Yeah. Um, why are we enforcing those? Um, we need to talk about how our military uh, because of the size and scope and overspending of our military, there are all kinds of surplus guns and equipment that are going to local police departments that are over militarizing them, um, which, you know, is it's incentives. Again, it incentivizes the people to be afraid of uh, of the police and view them as the enemy instead of serving and protecting employees of the private citizens. Um, and it encourages the people that are receiving all of these SWAT vehicles and assault weapons and things like that to use them. Like, why would you get gifted all these cool toys and then not have some kind of incentive to use them a little bit more, even on the margin? Um, we haven't talked about mandatory minimums, how uh, there are like it's it is what it is mandatory minimum sentencing for certain drug crimes um regardless of whether we think the drug crime should exist in the first place why why is it a rule that judges with tons of experience have to assign longer prison sentences for offenses that they believe given the context of that specific case warrant a lower sentence um mm -hmm. we didn't even talk about civil asset forfeiture which is this huge epidemic of government just seizing private property holding it indefinitely putting it behind red tape um people lose their cars their money uh their cash you know if you're traveling with more than ten thousand dollars in the trunk of your car in cash regardless of what you're using it for the government can seize that and it gets stuck behind you know in an evidence locker for years and years um, with no recourse on the citizen side um we didn't and the last point that i want to like mention but not dive into is that we didn't talk about um how hard it is for felons and people that get stuck in these mandatory minimums and overly harsh prison sentences for things that shouldn't be crimes in the first place we didn't talk about how hard it is for felons to get reassimilated into society to be productive citizens again by the law's standard. Um, so uh, being able to not really get a job encourages recidivism. So you're throwing people right back into the incentive incentives that encourage them to do illegal activity in the first place. And so like, I don't know, we could talk for an hour about each one of those. Like yeah. the <laughs> list of arguments for police reform is so long here. I'm just, I'm dying for somebody to come up with a good case against any of this stuff. Yeah. And I think the, the devil's advocate side of things, it, they don't necessarily look at the issues. They don't look at um, what's going on within the system. Cause I think most people would agree on a lot of these little um, issues, but I think that they, they look at it as you're opposing my views. If you have any um, anti-police reform rhetoric. Uh, and, and so there's certain people in society that are very protective of that uh, and so I, I do think there will be a little bit of you'll have to open your mind a little bit if that is if that is you um, and just think about these as individual problems and, and don't think of these as attacks on uh, your belief system, because we're not saying that police shouldn't exist. We're oh, saying no. they should be used correctly and efficiently. Uh, and um, 
and that our money should be uh, on the outset be used correctly and efficiently. And that's why we have the right to say that. Um, and, and so I, I think that's where we stand on it. And uh, um, you have anything else? Yeah, there's there's so much potential for step-by-step improvement here. This is not a big red button situation where we create perfect police overnight. So right. let's find like, we listed what, 10, 12 different like topics here. Like let's pick one where um, the majority of Americans agree and then hold political officials accountable to actually making change. And if they don't, vote them out. Um, make this a, one of the top priority policy issues. We just talked about RFK last week um, and uh, maybe hidden in the reunification plank is some policing, but he definitely didn't mention it by name. And it's this massive problem. Um, so uh, to recap, this has to be a shorter episode. So, you're, so for the last few minutes, we can recap that we make the police jobs easier by reducing the number of laws on the book. We can argue about which ones those are. That makes the cop's job easier. And it makes uh, it lowers the number of interactions between people and police, which leads, which has an inherent violence mismatch right Mm -hmm. um we also we talked about how or want to talk about how we want to increase training and pay um and one doesn't come without the other if if law enforcement officers aren't held to a really high standard of training then it doesn't warrant more pay but because they're so under trained right now and it's such a, a shitty job that like it the the pay doesn't match and then we talk about all the crappy incentives that that creates because then you have an adverse selection of people that want to be police officers um, because they're willing to accept a lower pay if they get to have some type of authority over people that they're not getting in other parts of their lives. Um, We're talking about the bad cops there. There are good cops too. Um, But I wanted to end or semi-end, pass it back to you uh, on a point. I heard this great recommendation from Jocko Willink. He's a Navy SEAL leadership expert, et cetera. Um, his idea for police training is that police and law enforcement officials, anybody that carries a gun that works for the government needs to spend 20% of their working time training. We can talk about exactly what that means in terms of like how they should be training versus uh, in terms of uh, de-escalation of conflict, um, Jocko Willink says, you know, there's all kinds of training to be done there in conflict de-escalation, but he talks about how they should all be training in jujitsu so that they feel highly confident without weapons that they can subdue somebody. And uh, even smaller police officers can uh, detain larger suspects um, because of jujitsu. You need less police. You need, uh, in in this instance, you can also pay them more because you need less. And you also take other recommendations that we've given your um, enforcing less laws um, and uh, enforcing the correct laws. Uh, And and so I think this sets up for a system where you have cops that are very well trained that, uh, and I think 20% might even be low, like a, a lot of their time should be spent training, take, take that time, whatever time they spent out on the roads looking for speeders. Uh, you can just take that yeah. time into training. Uh, that's uh, and 20% for a quick visual is if they're working Monday through Friday, they're spending all day Monday training. Imagine if you were doing whatever job that you're doing out there to your listener, that if you spent all day out of one of your five days, every single week, for as long as you have your job, just intensely trying to get better at your job, you would be a lot better at your job, right? I know you and I don't spend 20% of our time training. We might be better salespeople if we did. Um, I think there's such a huge potential, like, well, and in this cops do that for all day, Monday, and then Tuesday through Friday, do the rest of their job. 
It's such an information laden and very um, physical. Uh, it's there's a lot that goes into it. You need to be they need to be working out. They need, they need to be in shape like these should be very high uh, quality individuals on many different fronts. And instead, we pay them so little that we have some cops are very high quality, but there are many that are that, uh, you know, yeah. couldn't get a different job in many yeah. instances. And so or I reach think, for their gun faster because they're too obese to chase a suspect down the street because yeah. they're out of shape, you know, just simple yeah. shit. It's exactly. And we used to have minimums for getting into police academies. And even that over time causes a lot of problems because we didn't have re uh, reinstitutions of these, uh, you know, re regulations later on in their careers. But those have even been depleted because they can't get enough people to work, yeah, but incentives it, again. It's all, it, but it's all connected uh, in the fact that more people would want to work if they were doing less, if they were acting correctly, there wouldn't be this fear of being a police officer because people wouldn't be hating you, which also yeah. would allow us to pay them more because we would take less of us to do the right thing and correctly yes. um, institute a, a judicial, we could pay these people $120,000. And, uh, and I think that um, that would be fine if we had, you know, one third of the one amount that we have now um, doing going after people that are really causing violence within our society. Yeah, it's it start fixing one little thing starts a domino effect and it fa affects everything else and just it, it all gets easier. And that's what I love about um, this a smaller government individualist based libertarian, small L libertarian um, philosophy is that every, all of these improvements build on themselves. So we don't need this miraculous solution overnight. We need to hold uh, politicians accountable to making concrete steps, even small ones, if we have to, I would argue we could fix this overnight. If we really, I don't know if we had aligned to serious people, yeah. um, but I'm willing to settle for slow ish progress. Slow, a slow movement. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this has to be a shorter episode today. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, but we would love to hear from you guys on what you think about this. I think there's all kinds of topics in there that we could have spent an hour on alone. We were forced to skip over a bunch. Um, but if you've got you know, stories about, Hey, you guys are totally right. You know, and this story that I found is, is crazy and proves the point. Or, uh, if you've got arguments against, we would love to hear from you. Um, so Deb, anything else from you? Yeah, even more, if you guys disagree, we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, we always want to get more, more intelligent. We always want to understand more about each of the topics that we speak about. So, um, if you don't agree with anything that we have to say, uh, that's the most important information to us. Uh, so, Oh, as always, it was a really good time uh, and really fun podcast and can't wait for part two. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. We might go into a part two or we might have a guest on to take the other side of this so we can have a civil discussion back and forth and have all sides benefit. Um, but we're going to call it there for this week. Um, we'll be back with you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, guys.